When people start accusing you or saying things about you, there is no real need for you to try to prove them wrong. If you know within your heart that what you have done and what you stand for is acceptable to the Almighty and that you and Him are in good relationship and standing, then what other people think about is irrelevant. Accusations of other people are irrelevant. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. The big, bold, beautiful ministry of Yeshua is put on full display in this portion of Matthew as Yeshua gives his disciples instructions to go into the city, find his ride, and bring it to him to make his triumphal entrance into Jerusalem. Yeshua's festive interest became the cause of much celebration for the inhabitants and visitors in Jerusalem at the time. However, the celebration of the people invoked the anger and wrath of the religious community who confronted Yeshua because of the words and phrases the people shouted out. Several prophecies are fulfilled in this passage as Yeshua confronts, condemns, and clears out the merchants who conducted their business in the temple courts. Join us in this joyous occasion of Yeshua's entrance into the city of Jerusalem, the exploits performed by him in the temple courts, and the prophetic fulfillments of the prophets spoken hundreds of years prior in this teaching, thieves, robbers, and the house of prayer. So, let's study. So again, we're in Matthew chapter 21. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. And for those of you who have subscribed uh, to our website, you'll note that we send out the descriptions of the teachings that we're going to be doing for Thursdays, searching the scriptures and for our Sabbath service. And so the description that we uh, sent out earlier this week, has to deal with Yeshua's big, bold, and as I call, beautiful ministry, is put on full display in in this portion of Matthew as Yeshua gives his disciples instructions to go into the city to find his ride (laughs) and to bring it to him to make his triumphal entrance into Jerusalem. Yeshua's festive interest became the cause of much celebration for the inhabitants and visitors in Jerusalem at the time. And however, the celebration of the people invoked the anger and wrath of the religious community who confronted Yeshua because of the words and phrases the people shouted out. Now, I don't know about you, but there are people out there that have issue with what you believe. Several people who have issues with what you believe find it somewhat challenging to see Father bless you (laughs) and you believe a certain way because it's hard, it's hard to conclude that a person is under a curse and experience in the presence of and the blessings of Jehovah. 
That's not supposed to be attributed to those folks who are under curses. And of course, those who are under grace are supposed to experience all of that blessing, all of that prosperity, all of that joy. And it's hard for folks to see you trying to honor the commandments being under his law, recognizing that his law is valid today. And then to see you operate in any realm of blessing, prosperity, health. It's even stranger when some of the folks who accuse you of being under the law, which is a curse, are actually experiencing curses themselves. Their lives jacked up, sickness and disease, poverty, having a hard time making ends meet, rubbing two nickels together in some cases. <laughs> and yet they have all this joy when the fact of the matter is you can't have grace without law. You cannot have grace without law. In fact, law and grace work together. When we, the people of Jehovah, find ourselves falling short, that's actually where the grace comes in. It's not a place of living. We're not supposed to live under grace in the sense to where we are totally oblivious to the commands of the Most High. I've always found it interesting that people who believe they're not under the law of Elohim are looking to the same Elohim to bless them. It just doesn't make sense. But yet, many of us were convinced of that at some point in our lives, and there are so many who are convinced of that this day. Several prophecies are fulfilled in this passage, as we're going to see Yeshua confronts, condemn, and clear out the merchants who conducted their business in the temple courts. Yeshua's actions on the scene also continued to confuse the leaders of the day and maneuvered individuals to comply with Jehovah's plan to bring about the desired end goal of sending Yeshua into the world as the sacrificial lamb for the sins of mankind. When I look at the life of Yeshua, I can't help but come to the conclusion that he chose Judas because Judas had a purpose in helping him fulfill his mission. What that says to me, and I was reflecting back on my own life, I remember when I was, um, I got the right or the threat of the right foot of disfellowship from the Christian Reformed Church because I started keeping the Sabbath. Not only did I start keeping the Sabbath, but I started teaching that the Sabbath was the day that we were supposed to worship. And not only that, but eliminated Sunday worship services from our church at the time. And I remember specifically, there were two brothers at the time that I had made significant investment in, in energy and time and even in resources. And these two specific individuals were my Judases. Now, I didn't know it at the time, but they were instrumental in informing. <laughs> they were informants. 
I think today they probably call them snitches, but they were informants and they kept the headquarters organization abreast of the things that I was doing internally in ministry in transitioning our congregation from a Sunday worshiping community to a Sabbath observant community. I was thinking about them this week, (laughs) thinking about how where I am today and their role in helping me get to the place of where I am today. I think it really came to the forefront of my mind because one of them liked the post that I posted. (laughs) And so he will probably never acknowledge the fact what I'm, I'm saying here today, but I know. And sometimes brothers and sisters, that's all that matters. When people start accusing you or saying things about you, there is no real need for you to try to prove them wrong. If you know within your heart that what you have done and what you stand for is acceptable to the Almighty and that you and him are in good relationship and standing, then what other people think about is irrelevant. Accusations of other people are irrelevant. I was also looking at a situation where a relationship was reconciled and one of the members of that relationship made an accusation toward me and his wife. Now, I know people have made accusations about me in ministry to where there is the desire to try to clear it up. But sometimes in the midst of trying to clear something up, you get more entangled in something you shouldn't have been trying to clear up in the first place. Why? Because you know, when you know, and he knows, that's all that matters. Why? Because the Bible tells us that the enemy will make accusations toward you. He will make stuff up on you. And if you've got that kind of pride to where you're trying to prove the enemy wrong, that's exactly where he wants you, trying to prove him wrong. Why are you trying to prove the devil wrong in the first place? Everybody knows he's a liar. Right. (laughs) Right? At least they should know. And your character should speak for itself. Yeshua's entrance into the city of Jerusalem, the exploits performed by him in the temple courts, were prophetic fulfillments of the prophets spoken hundreds of years prior. And so what we're going to look at is what he addressed as far as these individuals that were in the house of Yehovah, the accusations, even some of them made toward him the knowledge that some had about him and others didn't. The event we're about to read about is one of those unique events in the life of Yeshua that is captured by all four Gospels, and they're from different vantage points. And that's, again, something that I'm going to point out here 
Because when you study, when you search the scriptures and study things out, it is important for you to try to gather all of the information on a particular subject so that you can actually begin to put the pieces together. The Bible is a big puzzle. It's got a lot of what is perceived to be loose ends. When you look at what they call the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll see that they are seemingly oftentimes in alignment where John seems to be a standalone. But when you put all four of them together, you can get a broader picture of a particular event or subject matter. And the more you understand or the better you understand what is going on, the better communicator you are of what's going on. Various prophecies and prophetic passages are fulfilled from Zechariah, from Isaiah, from Jeremiah, the Psalms. And what you're going to see is that oftentimes when Yeshua fulfills a prophecy, the prophecy that is being fulfilled is highlighted in the fulfillment of the prophecy. Matthew 21, 1. And when they drew near or nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Yeshua two disciples. And I stopped there because what I want to show you here is Matthew chapter 21, 1. And Mark gives some additional information in chapter 11, verse one. It says, and when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany. Now, Bethany is mentioned in the 17th verse of Matthew, but it's mentioned at the beginning of the story here in Mark. And so when they came unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent it forth two of his disciples. This is what Luke writes in chapter 19. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples. So what do we see here? We see Yeshua coming near Jerusalem and he's coming through these particular cities, Bethany, Bethphage, and of course to the Mount of Olives. Bethphage is known as the house of unripe figs. And so later on in next week, as we look at Yeshua cursing the fig tree, it puts us into a particular geography. It is an Aramaic origin and it's located between Jericho and Jerusalem. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, if you've driven, if you've gotten the lay of the land, then it's important, and this is one of the reasons why we tell our discipleship students, it's important for you to have a biblical map. You want to know the locations, the geography, the directions, where he came from, where he came through, because when people go into the land, part of what they want to do is that they want to walk in the footsteps of Messiah. It is unfortunate that Today's lay of the land and the lay of the land during his day are different. There are sites that are placed in certain regions of the country 
that biblically don't align. And so folks think that they're going to get baptized where John baptized Yeshua only to find out that they're several miles in a different direction. But if you don't know the geography, then tourist guides and other people can sell you a bill of goods. (laughs) Here you are having an experience thinking you in one place and the place that it happened is in a different place, which causes one to wonder about the experience. The Mount of Olives is known for its olive groves and the elevation. How many of you have ever been on the Mount of Olives? There's one, two, three. Now, if you're on the Mount of Olives, you can actually see down into Jerusalem because it's away from Jerusalem, but you can see what is considered today to be the temple structure, the different gates that were supposed to be around the holy city, and where you know, one particular gate is all bricked up because they identified that gate as the potential gate that the Messiah would come, come through when he comes back. Bethany was the hometown of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And you're going to see why I'm pointing all of this out because Matthew, Mark, and Luke doesn't necessarily tell us this information about Bethany being the hometown of Lazarus. Mary and Martha. According to John's gospel, Yeshua and his disciples arrived six days before Passover. And so what we read in Matthew chapter 21, he doesn't deal with Passover, but John lets us know in chapter 12, then Yeshua six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Yeshua and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Then said Yeshua, let her alone against the day of my burying has she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. And they came not for Yeshua's sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also whom he had raised from the dead. So earlier, Yeshua had raised Lazarus from the dead, and therefore the word got out that Lazarus had been raised from the dead, and people started gathering. Now, when you look at Matthew chapter 21, where he's going to come this triumphal entry, it seems like it comes out of nowhere, but it doesn't. And let me point it out. 
in John chapter 12, continuing verse 10, but the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. So now here's the situation. Lazarus has been raised from the dead. The name of Yeshua travels abroad. They're already contemplating, planning on killing Yeshua. But now it's like, okay, we kill Yeshua. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Here is a witness that was once dead is also alive. So he needs to go back to the grave from whence he was raised from. So they're now contemplating not only killing Yeshua, but putting Lazarus to death again. Herein is one of the reasons why I know some people don't like associating with me. <laughs> I get it. You know, it's like, okay, well, we'll associate with you from a distance, bro, because we know there's folks who don't agree with you on certain things you teach. They don't like you because of the bold stand you make. They have issues with you because you're teaching against stuff they believe. They have problems letting other people know that they follow and watch you, even though they take the stuff that you teach and teach it as if it came from them. And to see this is like, you know, I see you, man, but it's okay because it's not mine anyway. We're all vessels here. The revelation, the knowledge, the understanding, the message, the teaching, it all comes from him. And when we operate in his spirit, this is what will bring us to the same place. You see, I can teach you all day long, but if you don't get the revelation from him, then all you'll have is knowledge. When you get an understanding from him, that's what makes you solid in your walk, unshakable and unmovable. Where even though people will attack your faith, you know that what you're walking in is truth. Why? Because you've proven it and the Holy Spirit has confirmed it within you. Because it's going to take this in order for you to withstand the onslaught of those who are coming after you, especially when they start telling you you're under a curse. There have been many people who have come into the knowledge, but because of the attacks of the folks around them, because of how people have came at them, making accusations toward them, this is where Yeshua talked about the wayside ground, the fallow ground, the thorny ground, and the good ground. If you are not solid in the ground, in other words, where you are now planted in good soil and that good soil is his word and you know that that soil is rich, then what will happen is that when people come at you, when the situations of life come at you, when the pride of life come at you, when the issues of daily life come at you, you'll be moved. But if you're solid in that soil, if you're in that good ground and you know you're being nourished by that, you have found life. Nobody can move you from that. No one can move you from that. So here they are plotting to kill Lazarus with Yeshua because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Yeshua. <laughs> you see, 
The work that Yeshua did, brothers and sisters, convinced many people that he was who he said he was. This is why it's important. I remember when I first came into the Messianic Hebrew roots, it's the big focus on learning Torah, 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 learning the law, learning the law. And, and many people stop operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. Many people begin to question the power of the Holy Spirit the presence of the Holy Spirit and begin to attribute the Holy Spirit to Christianity, to the church. And therefore all things church had to be kicked out. It, everything had to be kicked out. The name Jesus had to go and rightfully so, cause it shouldn't have been there in the first place. However, when it came down to speaking in tongues, if you, if you received the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you spoke in tongues in the, in the church, then tongues became questionable. Prophecy became questionable. All things Jesus, all things church, all things New Testament became questionable. People started questioning Paul, questioning the New Testament letters, start questioning all things pertaining even to the New Testament. Some just flat out rejected the New Testament altogether and went straight into Judaism because they began to question all things New Testament. The bottom line, brothers and sisters, there is nothing more powerful in the life of a believer for a believer to not only have Torah, understand Torah, and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit operating in your life. Not afraid to lay hands, not afraid to cast out a spirit, not afraid to prophetically speak, not afraid or be ashamed of tongues or prophecy or any of the gifts of the spirit. Because what you're going to find, I remember when I first went to Israel, father said to me, well, no, this is the second time because the first time I went as a tourist, the second time he says, don't get caught up in doctrine. Show the people my power, show the people my power. Those of you who heard me, I shared a testimony of how a lady got me caught up in circumcision conversation. And here I am engaging and the Holy Spirit reminds me, don't get engaged in doctrinal issues. Show the people my power. And this was before service that night at service. We had a healing service. People were getting healed. And you know what took place? Those messianics shut down the healing service. Just stopped it because it was time to eat. It's Oneg time, brother. You enter in, you know, this is the time where we, it's like, okay, so you shut down the presence and power of the, and, and the person who was in charge, it was obvious that he had some, some mental challenges needed deliverance. But when you give people power, when you give people authority, when you give people a part of a particular service and ministry, they don't care about nothing else. At least he didn't. So what people were getting healed It's time for us to 
clear out the clear out the sanctuary, set up the t- tables and eat. It's that time, brother. So all that other stuff can wait. Later on that night, when we came back to the service, the very lady who was at the table wanting to argue about circumcision or doctrine is now wanting to know more about the power that she saw manifest in that uh, service that night. And so here's the thing that we, as the people of Jehovah, must maintain is as much Torah as we have, as much as we honor the Sabbath, as much as we honor the feasts, as much as we honor the commandments, the law, do not neglect the work and power of the Holy Spirit that is desirous of manifesting in our lives. Some of you all can go back to that and see that there was a point in your life in this walk that all you talked about and thought about was Torah, 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 law, 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 law. How do we keep the law? How do we keep the Sabbath? How do we keep the feast? And the Holy Spirit had been shut out of Messianic Hebrew communities. <laughs> Not anymore. Then people start questioning, how can you call yourself apostle? It's like, I didn't call myself apostle. He called me. See, one of the reasons why when folks ask me, what should I call you? I say, Arthur, is to avoid all that nonsense. Because, you know, who are you to be calling yourself an apostle? I didn't call me anything. The fact of the matter, if you want to judge something about me, judge my works. You're trying to get me caught up in a doctrine or catch something up or you don't have a, you have an issue with me or you, you don't like the way I preach or the way I teach. That's your problem. You don't like my diction. That's your problem. <laughs> that's not my problem. It really isn't. If you can't stand to listen, then that's okay. You can change the channel. You shouldn't change the channel if you're wise. <laughs> Verse 12. See, y'all just got me over there. I need to get back over here. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Yeshua was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna. Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Yeshua, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written. Now I want to go back to Matthew chapter 21. Because in Matthew chapter 21, Yeshua sent his disciples to go into the village. And John, it says, and Yeshua found a young ass. Well, which one is right? Did he find one or did he send his disciples into the city to get one? You see, this is why you have to put things together, because if you read John, there is no mention of him sending his disciples into the city to find this coat. But when you look at Matthew, that's the impression you get, because it says, saying unto them, go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a coat with her, loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. Now, what's interesting here, 
All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, now get the picture. There's these individuals. They're in the city. There's a coat that is tied up. And here come some strangers out of nowhere, untying the coat to take it, knowing that it doesn't belong to them. So they questioned them. Yeshua says, if anybody questions you, here's what you say. And they say, oh, okay. What you're dealing with is someone who has some understanding of prophecy. Because this event that is about to take place is something, if you're looking for this Messiah to come and you are familiar with the events that is surrounding his coming based on what the prophets have prophesied, then when this situation happens, it's not something foreign to you. Now, those who have no knowledge, we're going to find they don't even know who Yeshua is. And when he comes in, folks are going to start, who is this? See, this is the difference between people who have a knowledge of Scripture and people who don't have any knowledge of Scripture. People who have a knowledge of Scripture who've read the scriptures, and I'm not talking about folks who've been taught from their denominational perspective, because there are people who got the Bible who believe they know what the Bible teach, but their knowledge of the Bible is the things that they've been taught in their churches. Just because you've been in church all your life. I mean, it's amazing talking to people who've been in church all their lives and they come to our discipleship in the first two or three weeks talking about, man, I've learned more in three weeks than I learned my whole life in church. Why is that? And there's still folks sitting on the, on the sidelines. Time out, you, you called a minute. You need to educate yourself. You need to know what it is that you're engaging in because I'm going to tell you something. It is better for you not to mess with this than to jump in it and don't, don't know what you're doing. Because you'll do more damage. And I'm one, I'm thankful Father has given me the opportunity to undo some of the damage that I did as a Christian pastor. Teaching things that I had been taught. When Yeshua fulfilled prophecy, it was clearly mentioned and what prophecy he fulfilled. So it says here, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Now it doesn't mention what prophet spoke this. This is why it's important, probably one of the most used apps I have on my phone is the Blue Letter Bible app. Now, I know that there are plenty of other apps out there. I have a Blue Letter Bible app. I have different other Bible apps. I have different software on my computer because if it's spoken and it's not saying which prophet, do I read all the prophets to find this verse? Do I have a, a Bible that has some kind of notation saying this was spoken by a certain prophet and here's the verse in the chapter or chapter and verse? I mean, how do I search a matter out in order to find out what it's speaking of? Because again, it doesn't say simply that it was fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, well, what prophet? Here's the keys. Tell ye the daughter of Zion. So there's a key word. Daughter of Zion. Key phrase. Behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass. 
key descriptions and a coat, the fold of an ass, further key descriptions. So when I'm doing my searching, guess what? I got some key words to search out, which is going to help me narrow down the verse and the prophet where it was written. You see, now, if I am of the era of the time and it is the responsibility of the Hebrew people to know the scriptures because not only were they responsible for them, but those who had children were responsible for teaching it to their children. All of the Hebrew people, see, their education was Torah and the prophets. Before there were prophets, there were Torah. The prophets was risen or raised up to tell the people they have walked away from the Torah. They need to repent and return to the Torah. That was the role of the prophets. Why? Because when you look at the timeline of the kings, you got to understand something, brothers and sisters, from Saul to Hezekiah to the last king of the Bible, there was so much idolatry and you get an idea of how long Jehovah put up with the idolatry of his people. Years, hundreds of years. They are hiding in high places, worshiping idols, bringing things into his presence, worshiping the gods of the foreigners like they, you know, bringing that up in his face, worshiping him like they worship their gods. All of these things were against them. The Almighty has spoken out about those things. And when you divorce yourself from his commandments, you'll find yourself married to denominations. Your husband becomes a church. The church pastors and bishops and elders and deacons, they become the people who are the head of your life. You're talking about I give honor and praise to God who's the head of my life. Fact of the matter is that oftentimes individuals are giving reference to their bishops and their apostles and their prophets, giving father lip service. If he's the head of your life, if Jehovah is the head of your life, how dare you render his instructions irrelevant? You say he's your head, but his law means nothing to you. You say he's the God of your salvation, but you can't connect the salvation of, of Jehovah to his commandments. And then we have all of these illustrations in the New Testament where fulfillment after fulfillment, prophetic utterance after prophetic utterance, and it all goes back to Father's instructions to his people. He said, listen, I love you. I'm bringing you into a land a land that flows with milk and honey, a prosperous land, a good land. I'm displacing people for you. I'm going to give you houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig, orchards you didn't plant. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to make sure you have everything you need. All you got to do is follow these simple instructions. They're not hard. And the people, as a matter of fact, Father says, now listen, 
when I do all these things, don't forget me because I'm, I'm going to do some things for you. First of all, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to bring you out of an impossible situation that there is no way you could get out yourself. I'm going to deal with the world leader and bring deliverance. And not only am I going to bring deliverance to you from a world leader that the world is afraid of, I'm going to bring you out with their stuff. I'm going to go before you and I'm going to cause fear in all the nations because they're going to know you're my people. I'm your Elohim and they will not stand in your way. And those who do, who do step back. I got this. And so when we see his powerful deliverance with his outstretched hand and the wealth that he put upon his people and the land that he brought them into. He says, now don't forget who gave you this. Don't forget who did this, because if you forget, you're going to find yourself worshiping and serving other gods who are not even gods at all. There is none like me. You know, I know that Jude says he's the only wise of a truth. He is the only one. I mean, when you think about it, there are no other gods. There are things people call gods. There are idols. People worship as gods, but there's only one creator. That's it. He made everything. And to attribute any other God to anything is to exalt that God next to the creator. He says, how are you going to do that? Which one of them gods brought you out of the land? Now, they had plenty of gods, but they couldn't keep you. In fact, he made a show of them. He dealt with their gods, them, delivered his people, and they were powerless to stop him. That's the one we serve. So we need to get an understanding of who it is we serve and not simply give lip service that he's the same today as he was yesterday. That's another thing. God, the same today, yesterday, and forever. Well, if he's the same, then his word is, it, is not his word still the same? Does his word change? Is what he expected of his people then different than what he expects of his people now? Is there prosperity in any other name? Is there blessing in any other name? Is there salvation in any other name? See, this is where theology comes in and twists people up. So he says, tell the daughter of Zion. So we get the prophecy that is being fulfilled where Zechariah. Now understand this. Zechariah, if any, if you know biblical history, you know that before the children of Israel went into Babylon, there were no mention of a scribe. I'm sorry, a Pharisee, actually a scribe either. Why? Because Moses was the only scribe at the time. Moses scribed the, 
the Torah. There were no scribes. There were no Pharisees. There were no Sadducees. There were no synagogues. You read throughout from the time of Genesis all the way up to the New Testament. You don't find synagogues nowhere in the Old Testament. You don't find Pharisees nowhere in the Old Testament. Sadducees nowhere in the Old Testament. Where they come from? It's worth questioning. Now, after the Babylonian captivity, this prophet named Zechariah began to prophesy. So if he's prophesying, prophecy is not about the past. It's about the future. So Zechariah prophesies after the Assyrian, the Babylonians had taken Israel and Judah into captivity. And now they've been freed and Zechariah began to speak, rejoice greatly. So he's speaking of something that is to come. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a coat, the foal of an ass. That's a vivid picture, folks. And the people of the day knew their history. They knew pre-Babylonian captivity. They knew Moses. They knew the prophets. And here you have something that they're all looking for. They're looking for this king. This is why even the disciples that Yeshua chose before he ascended asked him, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Meaning a king. You can't have a kingdom without a king. And what was Judas's issue? Judas believed that Yeshua was supposed to be a king and had to help him get to that point. This is where he felt that by putting him under pressure, it would force him to act. Even on the cross, you know, they tormented it. If you be the king, come down from there. Save yourself. See, all of this teaching and understanding and miscommunication by those who thought they knew and taught was all part of the Almighty's plan to hide his plan from these people in plain sight. It's right there, but you can't see it. Now, those who have eyes will see. Those who have ears, when I tell them, they'll hear it. But the rest of you, I did it so you can't see. You'll see, but you won't see. And this is where a lot of religious people are today. They got the Bible. They see the words on the, on the page. But when it comes down to how to take those words and apply them, and you could explain it to them and explain it to them and explain it to them until you're blue in the face. And they still won't see it. Why? Because if they don't have a revelation from the Almighty, all your explanation is just giving them head knowledge. Puffs them up. It takes the Almighty to open your eyes, to open your ears, so you can see and hear. The voice of the Almighty doesn't sound like any other voice you hear, it's very distinct. You'll know when you hear it. People can't tell you what it sounds like, but you'll know. 
you'll know when his presence is, is near. Folks can try to describe it, but they can't tell you what it feels like until you experience it yourself. Because when he's in your presence, there's something that happens to you that is unexplainable. You can't explain it. You just know it. And people can look at you. What's wrong? What's going on? You don't have words to describe it. Verse six, Matthew 21. And the disciples went and did as Yeshua commanded them and brought the ass and the coat and put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. So what do they do? It's a coat. It's a, a fold, a ass and a fold. And then they, they put on him whatever his clothes were. And then Yeshua set upon him. Now what that was, we don't know. It just says it's clothes. You know, if you're riding today, people say, well, it may have been a saddle. I don't know. I doubt it. And a very great multitude spread their garments. Now, if you're reading, if you're just reading Matthew, this doesn't make sense. Yeshua comes in on a coat one day. Because this is the way Matthew seems to display it. Here comes, he goes, say, hey, go find this coat. He comes into the city on a coat one day. And all of a sudden, the people is like, they just start laying their garments in the way. Welcoming him into the city. Where is this coming from? See, the timing of it. It's, it's a festival. These people have come up for the festival and they begin to recognize because I can assure you that when it came down to all of these prophecies that have not yet been fulfilled, because there's prophecies at this time that had been fulfilled, but there's these prophecies that hadn't been fulfilled. You want to know what's really at the heart and mind of a lot of people today? End time events. End times. End times. Folks want to know about the end times. Why? Because it's associated with some form of prophetic. The whole idea of the 666, the mark of the beast, what that's going to look like, how it's going to look. This is all pertaining to some form of prophetic end time event that is going to identify the age and the end of times. Today, when people look at prophetic events, they're looking to Christian preachers and prophets because they've already discounted. They've already discounted the old Testament and much of the prophets of the old Testament because they're seeing from the eyes of Christianity. Here's another problem. They don't have the understanding of dates and times as it relates to Jehovah's calendar. So it, it would be somewhat difficult because if you have a people who are speaking based on a calendar from heaven, then their timeline would be based on the, calendar from heaven. If you have people see, you know what most prophets are doing today? Most prophets are getting their prophecies from the news. I mean, it's amazing. You watch these prophetic ministries 
and they're, they're speaking to you about current events and the associations of those current events to some fulfillment of prophecy. Now they're incorporating modern people into prophetic fulfillment and probably the greatest arena to prophesy to or from is the political arena. Now individuals are trying to tell you, God told me this person is supposed to be. And they're associating him to the political environment claiming to be prophesying when that other word that is rarely used, prophesying. And people are buying it. People are falling for it. It's like, brothers and sisters, if you want to know what Father is doing, he said it himself. He does nothing in the earth except he reveal it to his servants, the prophets. And the last time I checked, CNN, ABC, Fox, and none of them had prophets on their panels. And those individuals who are using them to identify prophetic fulfillment need to be questioned. This is why I came so hard when people talk, talked about what well, God told them and they're prophesying all over the place that a certain individual is going to win re-election. Well, what happened? Did God lie? Did you hear him correctly? Well, we made a mistake. Well, you made a mistake. No, you can't, you can't be saying God said and he didn't say. Because the moment you do that, it puts you in a death penalty zone. And you got these folks, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's important for us to read our scriptures, to have relationship with the Almighty, and not try to figure the Almighty out by what's going on around you, because you know what you're doing then? You're walking by sight. The fact of the matter is that every last one of us should be living our lives today as if today is the day, because you don't know. Tomorrow isn't promising to you. Now, I say that I'm going to live a long, long time, into my hundreds. But I also know that if Yeshua comes today, all that's cut short. I'm making this statement based on the fact that if he doesn't come back, then I will, I will be here waiting. <laughs> so now the multitude is coming on and they're crying Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Another prophecy. The people were shouting a passage from the Psalms. Psalms 118.25 says, Save now, I beseech thee, Jehovah, O Jehovah, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of Jehovah. We have blessed you out of the house of Jehovah. And so what you see here is Yeshua is walking in what the psalmist is speaking of. And how many of you know David was a prophet? He prophesied. Some knew who Yeshua was, others did not, Matthew 21.10. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, so notice here, you got one group saying, Who is this? And another group is answering. They knew who he was, but some people didn't. This is Yeshua, the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. Now, the Pharisees would say, hey, no prophet comes out of, out of Nazareth. 
And we know that certainly wasn't true. But I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. There'll be people who will tell you that certain things aren't in the Bible, and they are. There'll be people who will try to use the Bible to get you not to believe certain portions of the Bible. You would think that everybody who is preaching is doing Jehovah's will. When Jehovah said himself that there will be people who will be coming and they'll be preaching and teaching and they'll be lying on me. They'll be saying I said things I didn't say. There'll be people who will look at this as a lucrative vocation. They'll see this as a way to make money. They'll look at it as a way to, to get people to support them and to give them um, resources. And we certainly see that. Folks who come in his name is going to give you what he gives them. And those individuals, nine times out of ten, are not going to be liked by a lot of people. They'll be loved by some. There'll be people who, who will love you, and there'll be people who will come out vehemently against you. And Yeshua went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, here, Matthew, Mark, and Luke has this event at the end of Yeshua's ministry. John has this event at the beginning. If you go back to John chapter two, notice, and the Jews Passover was at hand and Yeshua went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple, those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, now remember we read in John chapter 12, he's coming into Jerusalem and now he's riding on a coat. And this is John chapter two says, and when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. So what we see here is either there's two events or John has it in a different place or Matthew, Mark, and Luke has it in a different place. It's worth noting, but here's what we know. There was at least one event where this happened. The timeline of when it happens is different, but it happened. And this is why it's so important for us that we don't get everything Yeshua did and said is not recorded. Sometimes when people say, you know what, where's that at? You may not be able to find it. Now, if you can't find it, then where are you getting it from? That's not to say it didn't happen, but if you can't find it, how can you preach it and teach it? That's not to say that Yeshua didn't do certain things because there's references to certain things that we find that we can't find the prophetic connection to where it is actually there. This was done or it was written. And it's like, well, where was that written at? And you can't find that. But we find those things in the Bible and understand this, brothers and sisters, that the Bible is a compilation of writings that individuals who believed they had the Holy Spirit was 
putting it together. Now, we know that the Bible, chronologically, the books of the Bible, is not in order. We know this. I'm going to throw something at you. How many of you have heard for such a time as this? Where does that come from? What book? Esther. She fasted. She got Mordecai and others to fast. Who did they fast to? Now, you would say they fasted to God. Do you know you can't find the word God in the book of Esther? It's not there. The Lord, you can't find it. So how do you come to that conclusion? There's all kinds of reasons that people will give you. This is why it's important for us to stick with fact. See, fact cannot be disputed. All that other stuff, you can dispute it. And if you're going to preach, if you're going to teach, you better stick to the facts. Because the moment you start preaching stuff that is not factual and somebody comes and make you look like a fool, guess what it does? It undermines your entire ministry. The moment you start preaching and teaching traditions and it is proven that these are traditions and you're preaching it as if it's biblical, it undermines your whole ministry. You do yourself an injustice and a disservice by teaching things that are not biblically fact that you can point your finger to and say, here is where it is written. Because you're going to be challenged and you're going to be questioned. And if you're standing there stuttering because you can't point out, you made a statement based on the Bible that is not in the Bible then again, you just discredited your ministry. And we've been taught a lot of stuff that ain't in the Bible. In fact, you got a whole Christian world out there worshiping on Sunday, celebrating Easter and Christmas. And they teach it as it's biblical. And you can't find it in the Bible. Jehovah's plan from the very beginning was, was inclusive of all people, as Paul acknowledged in 1 Timothy. And here's another thing. When people start telling you that Old Testament was written for the Jews and the New Testament was written for the Christians or the Gentiles, you need to ask them to show you where, where is that at? Because, see, that's stuff they've been taught. When the fact of the matter is, is from the day one, as I I keep saying to people, we got to stop letting people limit us to Jews and Gentiles. Because the idea is that if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And the fact of the matter is that you won't find Jew in the Torah. It's not there. The term is not there. In fact, the term Jew doesn't appear until Babylon. And this is why I keep Pointing Babylon. See, Babylon was a pivotal moment in scriptural history. There's before Babylon and then after Babylon. After Babylon, man started making stuff up. Before Babylon, man was responsible to his instructions. The reason they were in Babylon is because man started ignoring his instructions, started doing things that were not part of his instructions. And as I've shared before, the temple was not the Almighty's idea. That was David's idea. 
brought about by Solomon, his son. And when Solomon built the temple and the Ark of the Covenant that David had recovered was placed in the temple from the time the temple was burnt down until the time of Yeshua, that second temple and that third temple, there was no Ark of the Covenant. And if the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of the Almighty, then where was his presence? When you start seeing the Bible, not from preacher's perspective, but from what is written, you start asking the right questions. The age of accountability. Where'd that come from? When a person should be baptized. Can you baptize babies? Where'd all these conversations come from? Theology. And you got people arguing Trinity and raptures and baby baptisms. Because they don't understand the scriptures. If we stick to what is written, we wouldn't be having these meaningless, nothing, nowhere leading conversations. We'll be talking about the things that are relevant. And it's going to be very difficult to get on the same page as long as we're having conversations that ain't, that has nothing to do with the Bible. You follow what I'm saying? Just because somebody make them relevant, don't make them relevant. Father's plan from the beginning was for all men to be saved. Adam wasn't Jewish. Mrs. Adam wasn't Jewish. Noah wasn't Jewish. Abraham wasn't Jewish. Isaac wasn't Jewish. Jacob wasn't Jewish. Moses, Joseph, None of these individuals were Jewish. In fact, the only Jew, if you want to identify a Jew in the Torah, it would be Judah. The land of Israel today. I was thinking about this the other day. My mind be going into places. But if, can you imagine when you look at the, the swath of land that Israel is on today? Imagine if Hebrews from around the world. Imagine if Hebrews from around the world all decided to move back to Israel. There's no way in the world we would all fit. No way in the world. I'll throw something else at you. When it comes down to tribal land, do anybody know where it's at? Do anybody know its boundaries? Is there anybody who is beholden to the word of the Almighty as it relates to Jubilee, as it relates to restoring the tribal land and its boundaries to its tribe. See, the whole idea of classifying everybody as Jewish makes Israel the homeland for the Jews and displaces all of the tribes and the language of tribes. And now you got people arguing lost tribes. Do you know all of the tribes were lost? Every last one of them. Because even when Yeshua says he only came to the lost tribes of the house of Israel, well, where were they? If he came to them, maybe they were in Guatemala somewhere. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we have been moved off of what is written 
and are having a lot of meaningless conversations about aliens and Nephilims and lost tribes and all kinds of other things that really are the wrong conversations for the sons and daughters of the Most High to be having. Because what it does is it distracts us from truth. And we know who the distractor is. We know who the deceiver is. If we're having conversations about things that are meaningless, then you know what that means? We're not having conversations of meaning. And those are the conversations we need to be having because this is how we encourage one another and we provoke one another. And we get everybody in a place to where we're all looking for that same thing. We're looking for Messiah and we're taking the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel that he preached. And guess what? He didn't preach about all that stuff. So when you have people preaching about stuff that he didn't preach about, then you have to ask yourself, why ain't they preaching about what he preached about and where they get what they preaching from? Because the commission was to go and teach what I taught you. Teach what I taught. Don't add, don't take away. Teach the things that I taught you. Why? Because what I'm giving you is truth and truth is going to make you free. When you start walking in my truth, you're going to start experiencing my freedom. You're going to start experiencing this prosperity that they're prophesying and speaking about that Messiah comes to usher in because he says he has come to give us life and not just life, but life to the fullest. So let me finish this up. First Timothy two, one Paul came, Paul teaches us that Jehovah's plan was very, was inclusive. He says, I exhort thee therefore, 1 Timothy 2, 1, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of Elohim, our Savior, who will have what? All men, all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one Elohim, one mediator between God and man, the man, Messiah, Yeshua, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So what does Paul reveal to us? Paul, a Benjamite. Paul, a former Pharisee. Paul, who has sat at the feet of the most learned individuals of the day. Paul, who had the knowledge, spoke the language, knew the culture but had the wrong message until he had an encounter. And once he had that encounter, his message was adjusted. And he realized that father, because remember now, Paul was on a mission because he believed that salvation was for the Jews only. And this Yeshua come along and he's starting to teach people this and teach people that and bringing other people in and next thing you know, Paul is having this revelation. It's like, wait a minute. The Almighty's plan was not just for the Jews or the Hebrews only. His plan was for all men to be saved. That was Yeshua's mission. Yeshua's mission was for the sins of the world, not just for the sins of Israel, but for all men to be saved. That was Paul's understanding. The tabernacle and temple was to be a place for all people to gather and worship. 
to present themselves, their offerings, and to learn from the Torah. This is why we made such an issue and emphasis on the great multitude that came out of Israel, out of Egypt, along with the Hebrews. That was a multitude that no man could number. We don't know the identity of these multitudes, but it's irrelevant. Because when Father gave the Torah, he says it's one law. One law. And this law is for everybody. It's not for the Israelites only. But there's one law for you and the stranger. All men are going to have to bow. All men is going to have to give an account. You can say it's irrelevant all you want to. You can let somebody talk you out of it if you desire to. But the bottom line, when it comes down to it, he's the one we're going to have to bow and give account to. And what is he going to judge us accordingly to his law and how we conducted ourselves in his world and his kingdom? So it was father's plan that the place of, of worship be a, a place for all men to present themselves, their offerings, and to learn from the Torah. Now, Isaiah prophesied during the reign of King Uzziah and before the Babylonian captivity. Now, for those of you who know biblical history, you know that before when Babylon came in, destroyed the temple, that from that moment on, there was no more kings in Israel. From the time of Babylon till now, there was no legitimate king in Israel. By the time we get into the New Testament, we've got the Hasmoneans or the Herodians. And during the time of the Maccabees, the Hasmoneans but there was no king during the time of the Maccabees. And there was no king from the house of David in the New Testament. Herod was an Adumian. He was from the line of Esau, not Jacob or Israel. And so there was no legitimate king in the land. When the Babylonians came, it was the last time Israel whether it be the southern or the northern, had a king. Isaiah prophesied before Babylon. Why? Because in the year King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord. Well, King Uzziah was a king of Judah. So Isaiah lived during the time of the kings. And to understand the year King Uzziah died, the question is why? Uzziah, according to, I believe, 1st and 2nd Chronicles 26, was a powerful king who decided that he would get beside himself, take incense, go into the holy place, and decide he's going to light incense. Now, the first time somebody did that, Aaron and his two, Aaron's two sons, they fell dead in the holy place. Father told them, no, this is not for y'all. No strange fire. Isaiah decided he's going to come in and burn incense in the holy place on the altar of incense. And what happened? Leprosy. He was struck with leprosy at that moment. And he died. Not at that moment, but from his presumptuous act. So when Isaiah say, in the year he died, I saw the Lord. 
What is he saying? He's saying that when Uzziah, who desecrated this place, died, now all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord reveals himself to Isaiah. And it's not that Isaiah didn't know him before because he was prophesying before. But there's a significant connection to him seeing it and Uzziah, and then he begins to prophesy. Thus said the Lord, keep your judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Now, if he's speaking that, why is he speaking it? He's speaking it to a rebellious people before Babylon. Because Isaiah's going to prophesy to him, if you all keep up your rebellion, guess what? I'm going to bring the Babylonians in and you all will be taken out of this land that I swore to give you. It's important to understand timelines and prophecies. Blessed is the man that doeth this and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Now, what is Isaiah about to say? Because Isaiah is during the time of the King Uzziah, the temple is still erected. And what is he about to prophesy? Father's intent that the place of worship would be a place for all men. The temple would be a place for all men. Because there was word going out, just like there is today. There are individuals in the world today who would say to us that salvation is of the Jews. That salvation is only for the Hebrew people. That salvation does not go outside the Hebrew people. There are people who are are teaching this. And therefore... The lost tribes, the Hebrews, it's like, okay, well, how do you know they're Hebrew? Well, if they accept the teachings of Yeshua, okay, well, what if, what if white people accept these teachings? When you begin to question some of these arguments, they don't, they don't hold up to the scrutiny of Scripture. Because if salvation is only for the Hebrews, And to some groups, all Hebrews are of a certain pigmentation and hue from a certain place, then it it discredits or ignore or reject the massive portion of human population. And there are people who are so endeared to this doctrine that it's hard for them to see anything other than that. But if you can't convince them, then don't waste your time with it. Learn to shake the dust off your feet. Let them preach. They got their role. They got their plan. You and I, we stay what? Focus. And so Isaiah gets into this. He says, thus said Jehovah, keep your judgment and do justice for my salvation is near. My salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger that has joined himself to Jehovah say, Jehovah has utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus saith Jehovah. Now, I don't care what anybody else is preaching. 
the prophet is said. The strangers are saying this, the eunuchs are saying that. Where are they getting that from? Because somebody done told them that. Somebody done told the stranger, you have no place in this. Somebody have said to the eunuch, you have no place in this. And there was instructions pertaining to eunuchs as it related to the house of the Almighty. But that was for certain roles and responsibilities. And Jehovah is saying, for thus saith Jehovah unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant. I don't care what anybody said to you, eunuch. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Hear what I'm saying to you. You keep my Sabbath. You keep my covenants. You please me. Even unto them that I will give in mine house and within my walls a place. And get this. A name better than of sons and of daughters. To the eunuch? You see, even the eunuch had a place when they desired to please Jehovah when they kept his Sabbath, when they followed his instructions, he says, I'm going to give you a name better than the people who told you, you ain't got no place in this. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut out. Now it's the eunuch's responsibility because see, when the eunuch hears this from the prophet, the eunuch's got a decision to make. Do I believe what they said or do I believe what he's saying? pertaining to me because see if I believe that I had no place in this and he comes along and tells me yes you have a place in this and in fact I'm going to give you a name that is better than any other name imagine how the eunuch is going to face those who said you ain't got no place in this now because when they come and say to him or to them then they got to retort no this is what he said this is what he said Now, you have to hold on to that for dear life because there are those who will tell you you ain't hearing correctly. You ain't heard that from God. We know him better than that. And here's what he said. Well, this is what he said to me. But that's not all. Also, the sons of the stranger that joined themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of Jehovah. To be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it. See, the Gentiles, Gentiles, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful. Where? In my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, you mean the Gentiles, the strangers are going to be burning offerings. Their sacrifices, you mean they're going to be presenting sacrifices, shall be accepted upon mine altar. You mean the altar for the Jews? For my house shall be called the house of prayer for who? For all people, to the stranger, to the eunuch, and those, everybody else want to say, you have no place in this. Father saying, don't listen to them. Listen to me. Let me tell you, you have a place. Let me tell you, when you commit yourself to my ways, guess what? I got something for you better than that. Now, do you believe it? 
And then Jeremiah prophesied during the Babylonian captivity, behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, and commit? So he's talking to a people who have been carried away. They've been brought out of the land because of their rebellion. They're in the land of Babylon. And the prophet Isaiah is telling them, look at y'all. Didn't you learn something? Look at where you are. You've been displaced from your land. You've been taken into prison, into Babylon, into bondage, and look at how you're living. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom you know not? He's speaking to these people. He's speaking to them because he's carried into Babylon with them. This is what is the result of them going into it. And when they get there, guess what? They're going to try to shut him up because he's saying, if y'all had listened, you're walking after other gods whom you know not and come and stand before me because Jehovah is calling them out. So y'all don't think I see what you're doing out there. You over there serving Baal. You're committing adultery, stealing, murdering. You're burning incense to a false god. You're walking after other gods. And then you're going to come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith Jehovah. So here it is, Father speaking to the prophet, justifying what he's about to do to them, carrying them into bondage. And even when they get there, if you read Jeremiah, because part of his is before going, and then another part is once he's there, has my house become a den of robbers in your eyes? I've seen what you're doing. And the blind and the lame. Now here, back to Matthew, and this is, the closing verses and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. Now, after he cleaned all that out, cause he understands something. The temple was a place to be a house of prayer. The temple was supposed to be a place where people would come. The temple was a place where people can come and worship. They would receive ministry and healing. Now that he's cleared them out, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And what did he do? He healed them. And guess what? This is insult to injury to the religious leaders. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, now that's an interesting choice of words. When they saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were so displeased and said unto him, hearest thou what these say? And Yeshua said unto them, yea, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? And what is he doing? He's pulling from Psalms eight. I can tell you this. Whenever I felt attacked, whenever I feel as if the enemy is gunning for me and things aren't happening, that's when I do most of my praising. Because the, the psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Who has set their glory above the heavens? Who has set thy glory above the heavens? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. That thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. I'm going to tell you something. When you're going through, brothers and sisters, that's not the time 
to crawl up in a fetal position and start licking your wounds. That is the time that if you got to muster up praise, you got to put your focus on the almighty, praise him with everything that is in you. Now, I know you might feel like calling 15 or 20 people getting on a prayer chain list so they could pray for you around the world. But you can get all the people praying for you that you want to. The weapons of your warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of imaginations. You got to get in your head and kick all that stuff out of you that is causing you to feel sorry for yourself, to look down on yourself and start believing all the stuff that the devil and other people have said. It's time for you to cast that stuff out and lift up your voice and begin to praise him with all your heart. And I'll tell you something. Now is a good time. You know, in a moment like that, if you got tongues, man, you better <laughs> get violent in the tongue sphere. You know, you start speaking in tongues, praising in English or whatever language you praise in. And you know what will happen? All of a sudden, because there's been times when, when I felt this cloud of darkness around me and I get in that place and when I open my eyes, it's just bright light. It's just light all around me. And you feel that burden. It just, it just lifts because see what the enemy wants to do is he wants to cloud your mind. He wants to get you into a frame of thought where you're feeling pitiful and sorry and you can't praise. You don't feel like reading your Bible. You don't feel like being bothered with nobody. Every little thing gets on your nerves. You're annoyed by this and now you're questioning God. And he said, you better get your praise on because I'm the same yesterday, today and forever. I don't come to pity parties. If you want to have pity and self-pity, you're on your own. But if you want me in, then invite me in and let's just have a praise party. Let me show you what I can do with the enemy. Because after all, this is not your battle. This is not your fight. I've already won this battle for you. I've already defeated the devil on your behalf. All you got to do now is just let me order your steps and I'll walk you right through this mess and you'll come out unscathed. And guess what? I got on the other side of this for you is another test. <laughs> but I, I'll give you some reprieve so you know you can rejoice in what you just saw. <laughs> Because that's an experience that you need to take into this next move because what you just experienced is preparing you for what you're about to go through. But guess what? I've already won that one for you too. It's already done. Finally. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany and lodged there. And as we're going to see during the Passover, Yeshua would come into Jerusalem for the feast during the day and go to Bethany or the Mount of Olives to spend the night. And that's what we're about to, right now we're entering into the final stage of Yeshua's ministry, his ministry prior to his crucifixion. We already know he had ministry after the crucifixion, but this is leading up to it. 
Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints. <music>